Shafi. Shafi, are you there? You boys like Mexico! Yeah! Hello, Matthew. Hello, One Magical Nation. Shafi. <clears throat> How we doing out there, folks? Welcome to One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular. Schaefer Hall coming to you from deep inside my bedroom in East Austin, welcoming uh, my good friend Matthew Rampy. He's one of the greatest haircuts out there. One of the coolest haircuts out there. One of the coolest haircuts out there. How are you, Matthew? I learned to talk from TV. <laughs> Great to hear your voice this afternoon. Great to have a voice this afternoon, my friends. Great, great to have this platform built on your blood, sweat, and tears. Our, 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 our blood spit and tears. Well, I mean, I, I listen. I've been bringing the content strong, but uh, you, again, you are the engineer so far of the of the infrastructure of Don't. getting to our listeners' ears, which is really, you know, as an artist, I've always thought that art, that the, the artist's intention doesn't matter. Um, what matters is the, the viewer's subjugation of the work, and, and that's where the real magic uh, happens. So in podcasting, I mean, it doesn't mean anything until it hits the eardrum of the viewer, of the listener. <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been confused ever since you said the word subjugation. Oh, sorry, sorry. It turned into an academic critique. It's, it's all right. It's I'm, I'm a little I'm a little slow. Juxtaposition. Uh, speaking of listeners, I'm really excited. Uh, I just uh, sent out a big blast to my whole dad side of the family, inviting them all on board. So that uh that alone should double double our listenership thereabouts. Okay. Uh, that means we got we got to up our game, man, because they uh these people are podcast fiends and they don't they don't take lightly to to semi-pros let me tell you the dad side of your family are podcast fiends i'm totally kidding i, I think i'm sure some of them are that's the direction the world's going these days but i'm i bet some of them are podcast fiends and some of them don't know what a podcast is uh and but i can assure you that all of them will be very very uh patient with us and gentle with us uh as we ease into this podcast world so don't worry don't worry too much have fun. Have fun. Have fun and remember the three C's. Uh, that was from yesterday, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are the three? I've got another C here in front of me, a compression mic uh, <laughs> that my friend Schaefer brought to me this afternoon. So if my voice is sounding more buttery than ever, <laughs> you can thank this compression mic. Um, you got the three C's, communication, comedy, and clarifications. No, wait. <laughs> Let me try again. I forgot the most important one. Communication, comedy, comfort. Comfort. That's what you're going to find here at One Magical Nation. <laughs> I'm not comfortable calling them One Magical Nation yet. But. One Magical Nation, half of which, half of their last names are Hall. Yeah. <laughs> it's comforting. Did you did you uh, get rid of that squeaky chair? I did. Did you notice there hasn't been a single squeak? 
I got you might not have noticed. I bet, I'm sure Jessica's noticed. Jessica was in, well. Welcome, new listener, Jessica. Uh, we found out from my sister that her friend Jessica, our friend too, listens. Uh, so she's uh, she's our eleventh out of eleventh uh, listener out there. Um, out of a possible three hundred million. And if you would like to hear your name on the show and be recognized as a listener, get at us. Uh, send us an email at feedback at onemagicalhour.com. Or you can always go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review uh, because we got our first review, Matthew. I know I referenced it. Oh, you did? Yeah. I missed that. Uh, you'll have to listen back. I'm sorry. <laughs> at least you won't have to listen to that squeaky chair. Yeah, no squeaky chair. I hadn't noticed that I hadn't noticed that you weren't using it today because I'm in the zone of podcasting. I'm glad to hear it. Were you were you gonna were you gonna read the review? Don't read the review. Listen, we're not gonna read all your reviews on air, but it's the three R's, remember. Review, <laughs> review, review. How are you feeling today? Uh, I'm feeling great. I just realized. <laughs> on your computer screen. Uh, no, Apple uh, posted my review of our show. Oh, oh, nice. Does it have your name on it? Frankly, can't, well, it's Concrete Lion. That's my podcast name. Okay. Uh, Frank. Frankly, I can't get enough of OMH. But as a host, I'm heavily biased. Oh man. Well, but uh, the, so this other review is from Devin or Deven, D-A-E-V-E-N, uh, and I don't know who that is. So come on, uh, get out of send us an email so we can recognize you. We won't say your name on air unless you want us to. But I want to do something. I think we're gonna either make T-shirts or make stickers or some kind of poster once we get our logo, and we'll have a special one just for like the first twenty-five people who review us on Apple we'll get like a special uh, one-off version of some kind of merchandise that'll be only 25 will be made, go out to you. And uh, so make sure that we know who you are. So later on we can, uh, we, we can, we can make it worth your while uh, with our, with our bribery. I thought for sure that that was one of your home skillets. I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't know who that is. I, you know, yeah, that'd be, that'd be kind of cool if it was just a, if it was an entirely wild, uh, wild listener. But upon us, that would that surprise me quite a bit. You're in a proto phase. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, I'm feeling good today because I, uh, I just just last night I rid myself of one type of dread, not existential dread. Um, but the dread that comes over you when you have watched a really good series on one of your streaming services and you're not sure what to watch next. Oh yeah, sure. In fact, you're enjoying that program so much that you can't really imagine enjoying another program as much and you, you know, it's coming to an end and, and of course you've got Rex, you've got the algorithm giving you Rex and your friends are giving uh, that's uh, short for recommendation. Uh, you got the algorithm giving you ranks, your friends giving you ranks, you don't know what to watch next. 
but I, I jumped into something last night uh, via Netflix original Cobra Kai, um, which I had seen, which the algorithm had recommended it already. And I thought it looked a little novel and, and cliche and kind of silly, but uh, it was, it's, it's engrossing. I did two episodes in one night. That, that's my version of binging. That's the dad version of a binge. Two 30 minute episodes. <laughs> dad binge. That was a dad binge. Um, so I'm enjoying that already. And then I've started, you know, it, it's about the karate kid and it's like a af, what happens to uh, LaRusso La and Lawrence after the, when they were kids, you know, it's a, it's a, what do you call it? It's not a prequel. It's like a, um, an addendum. Um, and so where are they now? Yeah. And I, you know, it, it brought up all these, you know, eighties like movie tropes and thoughts and I think they call that a sequel. A what? A sequel. A sequel. Yeah. But I mean, that many years later and in a different form and in an anti-hero sort of You're right. You're right. I get it. I, get it. I, I don't know. It seems, it seems almost off canon, right? It's yeah, and well, fan fiction. And, and is this correct? Uh, my understanding was they sort of flipped it around so that. Well, well, ho, 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 ho. I mean, okay. let's just say this: it's it's told from the point of of Johnny uh, Lawrence, who was the who was the uh, antagonist in the, the aggressor. Yes. And, uh, you know, he got beat by the crane kick in the final moments of the match. Um, and, and it starts with him, you know, just being a bum, really. Like, his life hasn't gone so well. And you find out quickly that Daniel LaRusso has a very successful uh, multi-unit series of car dealerships, um, the LaRusso Auto Group. Um, but, yeah, you know... As Is he still waxing on and waxing on, keeping those cars shiny? Um, he, you know, part of his shtick to, for selling cars is that they, we kick the competition and he's got like a, a billboard with his foot out and a kick. And then <laughs> the, one, of, one of the things at the car dealership is that every customer gets a bonsai tree, uh, which is cute. And, uh, but there's already been these cool scenes of both of them uh, reminiscing in their heads about what happened in the past and I do I, at the end of the second episode I did feel this like anti-hero uh sort of thing and I mean it's that I mean that's the new we were talking about the wire the wire is such a great example of like blurring the lines between uh who's a good guy and who's a bad guy you know um so I it, highly recommend lots of fun uh I'll keep you posted <laughs> <laughs> That was a that was an excellent drop. Sweep the leg, Johnny. Um, but it it got me thinking about how in the eighties, uh, you know, I used to I think I used to see all the movies, and I had this really encyclopedic knowledge of pop culture stuff. And there's this process of getting older, and I I also think there has been a process, of, obviously, of media becoming completely more fractious. And there's so much more content now that how could you really keep an eye on everything like Sauron? Um, but it's just, it, it's become harder for me to keep up with pop culture. And, but part of that is, is 
uh, career and, and just not, there were, there were many years I didn't watch TV. It's, it's really hard to keep up with what's going on if you don't watch TV. Um, that has, that all has its own angst. The yes, process, indeed. The process. So, mm -hmm. Cobra Kai, how many avocados does it get? I'm giving it four and a half thus far. Four and a half avocados out of five avocados. For new listeners, avocados are arbitrary uh, rating system for any sort of media we consume. Or how many how many avocados do avocados get? I give avocados five avocados. Five, five for sure. Avocados are so much better than stars. I mean, I know that stars are bright and sometimes they power all the life in their system, but I mean, they're hot and they're really big. And I'll, yeah, five stars would be too many stars. Burn really, that up. You can't really, I don't know whoever came up with that because you can't really like line them up. But avocados, you can do lots of things with. And stars are not very nutritious, although they did sort of contribute most of the matter in our bodies. But, um, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are definitely nutritious in their own way. Okay, 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 they are. Yeah. What's better, stars or avocados? Wait, tell you what's better than either of those things: our show sheet, so we can get back on track. I feel like we're the avocados of uh, <laughs> of the podcasting world. All right, is it time for some news? Uh, yeah, I think we could do. Uh, we could go ahead and do the top. Three. Wow, that makes me so feel so professional. <laughs> Top story, once again, coming to this from the beginning. Going to hear from some lawyers about that one eventually. For sure. Um, coming to us from the sports pages of the BBC, uh, which is not going to be super typical, although we are huge sports fans here at One Magical Hour. Uh, the headline reads, Maya Moore marries Jonathan Irons after his release from prison. WNBA star Maya Moore has married Jonathan Irons, the man she helped free from prison following his wrongful conviction for assault and burglary. Irons was released in July after 23 years in prison, his conviction having been overturned in March. Moore had paused her WNBA career in 2019 to focus on getting him free. We got married a couple of months ago, and we're excited to continue this new chapter of life together, Moore, 31, told Good Morning America. This story is heartwarming and uh, heartbreaking. Um, you know, here is a guy who is wrongfully, convicting, wrongfully convicted. Um, it says here assault and burglary wrongfully group overturning the conviction judge daniel green called the case very weak and circumstantial at best so this is uh, uh an amazing story two people have found love um but i think the bigger story here are you know wrongful convictions yeah <laughs> everything that you hope would happen in the middle of all this yeah we need stories like this right now it is a great story, you know, but you, you, your heart breaks for anybody who spends 23 years of their life locked down for something they didn't do. I was thinking, you know, after our conversation with producer Emeritus and sister Grace Hall, uh, I was thinking there needs to be some sort of a, some sort of an OMH 
exchange rate for stories here. So if we, if we do one story that's totally down on the state of the world, which Lord knows there's plenty of those these days, I think for every one of those, we have to do two days of good positive stories like this one. That's, we're gonna do a downer story, then there has to be, for the next two days, there has to be good positive stories because they're out there and those, those are not the ones that get ma magnified, get amplified uh, by, the, by the news and social media, unfortunately. So that's my, that's my take on it. That's, I, that's what I think the one magical hour exchange rate for terrible news stories. How does that sound? Sounds fantastic. Oh, my Windows XP is acting up, sorry. I have, <laughs> I have a story of my own. Uh, interesting, this kind of, this is a story, somebody else's story that uh, made me think of a story that actually happened to me. Um, I heard a guy talking uh, today, a Jewish guy from New York City. Actually, he was a comedian. Uh, but he was saying that, you know, as we know, marijuana use has become more widespread in this American nation uh, lately. So uh, the New York Orthodox Jewish community is not, uh, is not an exception to that. They, uh, they are starting to use more marijuana as well. It's starting to become more acceptable there, which is interesting. Uh, but <laughs> there's, you know, in this, it filed this under, under niche market that you didn't know existed because, because on Saturdays, you know, the Orthodox Jews are not supposed to use tools. They can't use a lighter or matches to light a marijuana pipe or a joint. So that means that there's been a huge, there's a huge market there for edibles. So, but then once you start making edibles, you know, there's gelatin and stuff in there. So then you got to make sure that they're kosher edibles. Kosher edibles. So there's been a huge market for kosher edibles in the New York community uh, because of folks who want to uh, partake on the Sabbath. Wow. Which uh, I thought was pretty interesting. And, you know, just one of those things that, you know, I would never think of in a million years is, you know, being something that, you know, you could market and make money off of, start a little cottage industry of, of kosher marijuana edibles. But uh, that... Does, does that count as our two feel-good stories? I think, yeah, all right. Yeah, that's two. Um, <laughs> feel-good in a different way. <laughs> It's definitely a feel-good story. One will make you feel good, and the other's about people making themselves feel good. Uh, but that, uh, it occurred to me, did you, know that, did you know that my name is in the Book of Life? Because uh, one night while riding my bike through South Williamsburg, I performed a mitzvah for the Hasidic community. Was your mitzvah delivering kosher edibles? No. I was riding my bike home. I, you know, I used to ride my bike to and from my bartending job, you know, from my house in central Brooklyn to my bartending gig in the village. And one night, it was about nine o'clock, I rode across the Williamsburg Bridge. I was riding through South Williamsburg and this tall Hasidic guy waves me down. 
you know, he's basically almost almost steps in front of my bike. He's waving his arms in the air. He's got some kids around him. I stop. He says, I need your help, man. He was like, could you come in and here and do us a huge favor, please? And I was like, you know, he had kids with him. Typically in the middle of the night in Brooklyn, you don't, you know, you don't stop and do favors for people waving their arms in the street necessarily. Uh, but he had, you know, like I said, he had kids all around him. He seemed on the up and up. So I said, sure, man. Uh, we went around into this alley. He said, the kids will watch your bike. I said, okay. We walked back into this big building and I walked through. There was just this room with these Hasidic ladies sitting in it praying. Uh, and I realized that I was in a synagogue, you know, and they're like, this is a place. synagogue. What's that? Stumbled into a synagogue. Yeah. It was just a place, you know, where, you know, boys like me don't usually go, you know, I was surprised just to see it. At first I was like, are, are men even allowed in here? You know, so I'm walking through, I'm kind of trying to be respectful, but I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm, you know, I'm wearing my shorts. I still got my helmet on my head and I'm walking through and, you know, there's all these carefully dressed folks. So the guy, he weaves me through, we go around. I can kind of see, like, I'm in, I'm in kind of this uh, multi-use room off of the main synagogue where I can see the men are in there praying. And, uh, and what's happened is, you know, it's, it's the Sabbath. It's a high holiday. Uh, and their lights are wrong. And they can't touch. They have all of everything set up on these computerized dimmers. Uh, but the, the, the computer program or whatever, there's been a malfunction. And, uh, and they need me to adjust everything because like half of the, half of the synagogue is in darkness. So I'm like, okay, he like, there's people standing around. So I adjust everything say, oh yeah, that's good. Uh, finally I get everything all right. And then just as I was leaving, he was like, oh, could you just hit the, hit that thermostat down two degrees while you're at it? And I was like, sure. Dropped the thermostat two degrees, walked out. Uh, my bike was sitting out there. I got it. I got on my bike and, and rode my bike home, uh, having just wandered into this, uh, you know, thing that I you know, never in a million years would have found myself involved in. Otherwise, you know, it was pretty, whole thing was kind of, kind of dreamlike and pretty interesting and weird. Uh, but I got home and called my old buddy, Scott Castell, Jewish friend. And he was like, oh, this is a very big deal, Schaefer. You, uh, you performed a mitzvah for the Hasidic community. Your name will be noted in the book of life. So, score one for the Shafi, if you know what I mean. Nice. Um, it seems like they would have just an Irish guy on hand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, you know, Can I you, think... That, are you allowed to just employ somebody for the Sabbath? Yeah, that would be called the, that'd be called the Sabbath Goy. I think that they, some, some, some uh, folks, some synagogues do have a, have a Goy on hand to... Sign me up. Work. How can I get an application? <laughs> I could use some extra dollars on a Saturday. <laughs> and I, you know, I would like to perform a mitzvah occasionally myself. But I guess if you're like in the employ, it's not really a mitzvah. You, you were just a passerby who did a, a kind thing, a good Samaritan of sorts. Well, how about this? How's this for a segue, Mr. Rampy? Why don't we talk about a little mitzvah that you've been doing for yourself lately? 
I'm talking about your patent pending tenure taper. Well, I wanted to talk about it here just because we've, we've mentioned it a couple of times and I just wanted to clear it up for everybody. Um, I am working on a hypothesis, uh, a, a, a theoretical path to uh, changing your relationship with alcohol. I call it the 10 year taper, how to get off of booze in one short decade. Now you may say to yourself, one short decade, um, my alcohol problems are a little more pressing than that. In which case, this is probably not the plan for you, but if you're mostly functioning, if you're a mostly functioning alcoholic and you, um, can admit that to yourself and you feel like you've got a little bit of willpower in you. Um, you can embark soon. I, listen, I'm still, I call it a hypothesis because I'm still in the process. Um, you know, I thought of this today because I was listening to TBTL and Luke Burbank, one of the hosts whom you had told me had quit alcohol said that since COVID he has imbibed from time to time, maybe in, hopefully in a more um, healthy manner than he was before, but he, he yeah. had taken away from and we certainly, we certainly don't judge here. Everybody. Oh, no, no, I know. I think then, you know, uh, and, and my, my relationship with it is that <laughs> I don't think that alcohol is uh, something that I want to have completely removed from my life. Uh, I just really needed to change my relationship with it. Um, my personal journey starts uh spring break of 1996 um i went to mexico with some friends and i pretty much had a drink every day since then <laughs> well until last year that is um there was that and then soon after that i started working at trudy's which is a popular mexican restaurant here in austin that uh has actually been in the news lately they sold and rebought anyway i started working at trudy's and i was 20, 20, maybe just barely 21. And at that job, I started drinking tequila. And then I was just like sort of in a tequila haze for a couple of years. And then, you know, it was just working in the, working the bar and restaurant business will do that to you. Yeah. I, I waited tables all through college. And so, you know, of course it was always there and, you know, evening shifts would start with some drinking before maybe even you were quite done with your shift. And, um, and then it was, you know, it was just sort of a constant companion. Um, I remember even in when I was still in college, having beer in the fridge and, you know, always having a drink or two at night. And I, I really, while I did binge, especially when I was younger, I, I really was a very moderate drinker and sort of maintained uh, what I, viewed as my control over it by just, you know, allowing myself to have a drink. And that was pretty much, you know, a daily thing. Uh, I guess barring sometimes when I was recovering from surgery or something of the sort. Um, but anyway, drinking for a long time. And, oh, of course, as you get older, um, oh, of course, then, then it went to, you know, I worked at a beer distributor for 13 years. Um, Oh yeah. 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 It was like, I waited tables through college and I left for a few years and went out to San Francisco. When I came back, I started working for a beauty distributor. So then it was just like, I had an endless 
free, basically free supply of beer. And uh, just, just I'm honestly, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not taking a shot at you here. Just for the casual listener, we are not yet to the tenure taper. Oh yeah, sorry. This is the We're still just uh, background <laughs> the alcohol abuse. Well, I, I I just wanted to set it up for everybody. No, no, I get it. Like I said, I wasn't taking a shot. I wasn't taking a shot. Keep going. To let them know where I am. Um, so there was always beer uh, brought home from work, and you know it really started. I think the ten years taper kind of started with um, I had stopped drinking so much beer and. <laughs> was drinking more spirits and the process of cutting beer out of it was sort of the first thing of, um, you know, let's, let, let's start tapering this off. I, I, I have for years seen my drinking on a, a graph uh, going down, you know, I always wanted it to go down and it mostly was. And so like, I, so let's say I, I'm, I, I think I'm in year seven of the 10 year taper. So seven years ago, I started, I started removing beer um, to so much beer from my diet. And really the first step of the 10 year taper is stop drinking during the day. Now, makes sense. Yeah. I, now I'm the kind of uh, alcoholic who wants to start drinking. I'm going to drink until that sweet, sweet relief of sleep comes. Um, <laughs> um, and so, so for first step, stop drinking during the day. Second, and this is really like a, think of the 10 year taper as like a tightening spiral. Okay. It, it, it's, a, it's long because you got to go all the way around the spiral as you tighten it up. And sure. Tighten it up to start placing arbitrary parameters around your drinking. So for me, it was, um, I stopped drinking during the day. And then I said to myself, I'm just going to drink between five o'clock and 10 o'clock at night. And I'm going to avoid binging altogether. And so I was, I did that for a long time. And then I, I tightened it further. I between six and nine and I was super strict on it. And I got it down to between six and nine. And, um, then I started cutting more things out, like like really cutting beer out so much. Um, and I don't know, last year, I think I had a couple of uh, times where I was overserved, and um, I started realizing how alcohol was making Probably by yours truly. <laughs> I started realizing how alcohol was making me feel like, not just the following day, but the next day. Um, so the, the uh, maybe um, let's call it ten months ago now, I started actually putting days between drinks. So I'm currently at uh, I'm allowing myself to drink three days a week, or to have a drink, or 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 you know, this this is all still in, usually in my parameters of six to nine, but. Uh, three days a week. And, you know, on those days when you're not drinking, especially at first, you really have to, you have to actively not drink. Um, you'll want to drink your, your body will want to make the motions of taking the, the booze out of the fridge or from the container and getting the ice and pouring it. Um, but you know, 
What's great about cutting stuff out is it really rarefies the times when you get to do it. Oh, no doubt. That's kind of where I'm at now. Um, you know, I, I look forward to a beer on Friday nights. Let me ask you this. I do allow yourself certain, like, like, I, I, I appreciate what you're doing on a day to day basis, but like, I couldn't do that at a wedding or something. Are there allowances? I, I think the tenure taper is a, a gentleman's game. Uh, you, you have to be honest with yourself. If you feel like you can make allowances and get right back on the plan, uh, then I think that's good for you. I, I'm pretty strict with it. Um, are you talking about like a wedding during the day or a brunch where everybody's having a bloody, that kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, did, hello, is this thing on? <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, for me, I don't, I don't know. For me, like the, just the drinking during the day just became not a ton of fun because mainly because I would just get tired quickly. This is a good place to stop and note the profound difference in your life versus mine, and that is you have two small children. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and and that's of course highly motivating. It's um, I can whack myself in the head with a shovel and be unconscious for 24 hours and no one will die. Yeah, I don't have any recovery time at all. That, and that was, that, was a big, uh, that was a big motivator. Uh, parenting hungover is uh, excruciating. Wait, l let me rephrase that. Parenting is excruciating. <laughs> But worse, I'm hungover. <laughs> but I'm not. So here's another thing that happens with this conversation is anytime I talk about it, people immediately, you, you did it just now. You were, you were thinking about your life, you know. People immediately could start reflecting on their drinking. And I'm, I'm really not looking at anybody else's drinking. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to address mine, which is, you know, but it's, it's monumental. Um, but, but at the state that I'm in where I've slowly, I learned this through therapy. We make, uh, you know, we make habits. You, you, you tread a path. Imagine treading a path through a field of grass and you tread the same path over and over. And then, you know, the, the grass dies and the path is clear. And if you want to make another path, you got to tread it a bunch of times. So I'm at the point in this thing, where I've, I've tread it so long with the, the I, right? I'm at the point where like, I, let me say this. I still think about drinking early in the day, every day. And I either say, I either know in my mind, I think it's pretty much explicit. It's like, okay, today is a drinking day that I'm looking forward to that or today, but I've come to be like, Oh, today's a non-drinking day. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the better sleep, how I feel the next day. And then it's, and then it becomes sort of freeing. And that, that's at the point where you realize you really just are changing your relationship with alcohol. Like when you're enmeshed in it, when you're just drinking, when, you're, when there's no parameters, first thing, the, the poison becomes your medicine and your body. Sorry about the demousing rods. Sorry. Your body registers it as poison. I mean, your body registers it as medicine, you know, 
it comes that time, even when you're, when you're doing this program, when it's that five o'clock or six o'clock, your body goes, Hey, I'm not feeling so good. I hear you. <laughs> Do you know what would make me feel a lot better? <laughs> Shaker could probably properly time a drop. A five ounce martini. Um, who wants a mustache ride? For somebody who loves drops so much, you really are a rank amateur. This is a good time for me to practice right in the middle of your right, very, right at the most heartfelt part. Very honest, very heartfelt. Whenever my partner is talking like really from the heart, I like to drop in uh, just unprescreened, <laughs> super obscure drop. <laughs> If you can do poor audio quality, do make sure that it's cranked to eleven. Oh, poor, poor, poor audio quality is definitely key. Sir. I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. I it's not. Yes, I can. I can. I'm. I could go on about this, and I will in this podcast. Um, I I'm super proud and stoked that I've made it through the quarantine, maintaining this thing. The that three, is that three days a week thing. Um, and I think it's really just, I, I think it's got me to this podcast. Um, um, I, I know it sounds like a joke, the 10 year taper, but uh, I would like to publish it for, for, all those, for all those functioning alcoholics out there who don't feel like they need the 12 step program and want to move in a certain direction. And I've been talking with you about this 10 year taper for, the better part of seven years and ad nauseum. I honestly am impressed that you've stuck with it, uh, particularly during this time of quarantine, because the pandemic definitely has me up to up to some shenanigans. Well, and again, we're not judging anybody. This is not about your drinking. Right. And actually, listener, I'm speaking to you. This is not about your drinking. This is just about my drinking. I have not been, I have not been drinking much during the during the quarantine. My my shenanigans are like, stay up all night, reading weird fantasy novels, and uh, I'd say I've, I've actually kept things pretty. Reading weird fantasy novels, uh, writing titles for nail polish cover color <laughs> yeah yeah uh except i really have not, i've not gotten enough exercise that's that is 100 percent true well that can always turn around yeah uh yeah it can it'll it'll happen fast once i start doing more things something, something i'm looking forward to at the end of the the end of this pandemic is doing more things yeah what are you drinking there? over there? Is that coffee? What's that? What are you drinking over there? Coffee, yeah. It's like the Das Boot of coffee. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's stovetop espresso with oat milk. It's really Whoa. good. Whoa! I saw this great thing on Twitter the other day. It was a picture of Floyd Mayweather sitting at a table where there was probably $2 million in cash laid out on the table. And the caption just said that feeling when you've been making your coffee at home. 
No doubt. Starbucks is taking a lot of your money out there, folks. I mean, even, you know, yeah, Cafe Medici, even with my, like, best friend's discount there, you know, best friend, neighbor, co-business owner discount, not spending the, I still, you know, with my coffee intake, I still end up spending 10 to 15 bucks there a day, you know, with tip and stuff, so. <laughs> the ways we're all saving money during this pandemic are many. Unfortunately, one of them is not spending money in bars, which is why I'm continuing to not have anything to do. Yeah. But October 1st, look for a soft opening. I, I've already announced that here, but I'll keep saying it because I want it to be true. October 1st, look for some sort of soft opening of the front page. God willing. I'm holding my hands up towards the heavens. Inshallah. Out there, one magical nation. Yeah, for sure, man. You can't see me because it's imaginary radio. TFP, baby. Well, oh, I've played it all out there. It won't be the last time you hear about the tenure taper. No, you, you, now you, you guys are going to hear it ad nauseum. I would like uh, to welcome new listeners, Ike and Bridget, our old friends Ike and Bridget, uh, and they're in a band together called The Early Stages, uh, and we don't, have to, we don't have to do it right now, uh, but when we... That's our outro? You do have some early, early yeah, stages? Yeah, I've got some out. We listen to some early stages on our way out after... Uh, do you have anybody that you feel like we need to shout out? Any, I know that I, I guess I usually handle that, but. Did we get any emails? No emails, I don't think. Well, if you're listening out there, I know you've got some critiques. Take it to the keyboard. Feedback at onemagicalhour.com. We did get a welcome to Mastodon email, so when the time when the time comes for our social media blast, which I think will probably be sometime in October when we feel like this is finally good enough to show to strangers and not our closest friends and family, uh, look for us on Mastodon, among other. Mastodon is the open source, not evil social media platform. My understanding anyway, I'm still, I'm still investigating. I still don't understand exactly what's going on. Well, I like that it's called Mastodon. Mastodons are cool. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Both the extinct animal and the band. I mean, I'm not on it, but I, I, I like the idea of the non-evil social network. Yeah. It seems like a good time for that. Definitely. What else? <sighs> um... That's that's all I've got today. I feel. I can't wait to watch Cobra Kai tonight. For my for my forty five minute window of peace and quiet. Oh, I was going to tell you guys. I'm I'm reading a really fun book. Uh, let me. It's called A Dirty Job, and it is by Christopher uh, Christopher Moore. 
uh, it's really fun fantasy. It's about uh, this dude who uh, has a kind of a cataclysmic thing happen in his life. It takes place in San Francisco, so you might be interested. Okay. okay. Uh, this dude has a cataclysmic thing happen to his life and discovers that he has become an agent of death. Um, but it's written in a very funny style. Um, so it's kind of, uh, kind of, if you know, Neil Gaiman, uh, kind of like that, but more American in a sense of humor, you know, Neil Gaiman, more British, but just, yeah, fun, very accessible fantasy where, you know, weird, weird, weird things happening to normal people. <laughs> I like it. Uh, no, so reading, reading for pleasure, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't know anything about that, do you? There's another thing with uh, people. Christopher Moore, uh, writer Christopher Moore gets, gets four and a half avocados from me. Um, I would give him five, but I haven't read all of his work, so maybe there's something really terrible out there that I don't know about. But, I've, got, I've got reading for pleasure on my list of things to do when my kids get jobs. When your kids are 30 years old and... 30 to 40 years old and finally stop needing you? No. Your kids, your kids never stop needing you. No, I, listen, I'm, I'm setting my kids up to not need me soon. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they need you, they, they need you in different ways. Well, they can just listen to my podcast then. Yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> I will only I will only exist to them as their podcast dad. One magical nation will always welcome your kids with open arms. It takes a it takes a nation. I found a soundboard that's just semi truck horns. The next few drops go out to James Driscoll. We love you. Oh, that's terrible. Forget that ever happened. Oh, I said his last name. Oh, that's right. Jameson, uh, I hope that this is true. Jameson was talking with me about uh, starting his own podcast where he does long-form interviews a la, a la WTF and Mark Marin. So that'd be fun. Uh, I would look forward to both both being a, being a guest on there and listening to it. Funny to hear long-form interviews of our friends. By, uh, I like long form interviews, but I'm I, I'm kind of terse. I'm so succinct, I can't really be interviewed. Uh, Don't have a lot to say. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. Just because you didn't react doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> so uh, here's a quick shout out to Uncle Brent. Uncle Brent was the first, uh, the first person that I sent. I told you I sent out a kind of a big blast to the whole family, and Uncle Brent was the first person to respond. He said, "Thank you." You think he's listening right now? I'm sure. He, I have no doubt that he's listening to. Right now, since right now in the podcast world is whenever he listens. That's your dad's brother? Must be listening right now. It is my dad's sister's husband. Okay. My dad's brother-in-law. Where does he live? 
my dear uncle down in Corpus Christi. Okay. I love all my uncles and aunts, be they, be they, uh, be they blood relatives or relatives by marriage. I love them all. Um, and I love all my cousins too. So I'm going to keep my the one magical nation, one I'm gonna... <laughs> magical family. I'm going to keep my extended family off of here for as long as possible. I completely understand that too. I think that if it does finally reach them, that means that we've gotten very, very popular. If I didn't know that, if I didn't know them all to be very, very non-judgmental and very supportive of everything that Matthew and Schaefer do, I would, uh, I wouldn't have invited them. I can hear the emails now. Stop the Windows XP sounds. <laughs> Stop the Windows XP I find there are some Pavlovian responses to some of those computer sounds. Yeah, that'll really drive a person crazy. This is called moose. Oh. And I don't mean the pudding. <laughs> Poorly timed as usual, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that, was actually a, that was actually a good one. I'm not going to listen back. Don't worry. Who, who listens to these? Not me. <laughs> Nobody for very much longer, let me tell you. Oh, all right. <laughs> you got any early stages for us? Got some early stages right here. Uh, thanks, One Magical Nation. Get back to us. Feedback at onemagicalhour.com. Uh, review us on on uh, review us on Apple. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't think this is gonna work. It's review us on. Hold up. That's comforting. Review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, vamp a little bit. Vamp Murphy, but I'll go ahead and sign off for a second here. Information, we love you all. Just remember the three C's: communication, quality, clarity. Uh, no. What are the three C's? What are the three? The three C's are communication, comedy, comfort. Comfort like a warm snuggie. And remember, the poor of the choices, the sweet of the wine. I love that. We're in with a really bad sound.